Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Gabriel Galvez, the CEO of CapTarget. Gabe Galvez is a career entrepreneur turned private equity investor. He successfully exited his first company at age 23, followed by a career in consulting and banking before starting a number of companies that service the private equity and investment banking industry. Now, rather than investing in a specific asset class or industry, his firm focuses on backing smart entrepreneurs in their own buy and build journeys. Outside of work, he spends his time in the water surfing, mentoring young professionals, and talking about the wonders of the universe with anyone who will listen. A fun fact, That's Gabe true. is known for his electric electric car collection. And here to share eclectic. more... Uh, eclectic car collection. Okay, <laughs> that makes more sense. And you just heard from him. Here to share it, about him and his company is Gabe. So Gabe, thank you for being here, buddy. Thank you, Drew. Pleasure. Um, well, let's just start there before I actually want to, want to hear. Tell me about your eclectic car collection. What's that about? I mean, I've... I think I'm of the kind of dying generation of car guys still. I think that's becoming a certain generational thing as, as folks prioritize other ways to spend their time and money, which, which I totally get. But, you know, I grew up in that era of, you know, your driver's license was your ticket to freedom and your ticket out of the house and your ticket yeah. away from, you know, your, your problems or your, you know, the boredom of, of youth or whatever. Um, and now, you know, I think I've owned a hundred some odd cars. I don't tend to keep huge fleets anymore, but I always have, you know, five, six, seven, ten ish cars. And you know, right now I've got this funny mix between like supercars, kind of become a big McLaren guy. I just picked up the new Porsche uh, GT, a 992 GT3. Um, um, I've had kind of driven everything I've ever wanted to drive, but now I have this kind of supercar bucket. And then I have the like, weird car bucket um people in san diego have probably seen me daily driving a you know a, a, a 416 mercedes daca unimog you know on 53s <laughs> it's probably the cleanest unimog in the americas it's it's really an incredible build big military vehicle um yeah i have i think one of the cleanest one of the nicest um truly um race prep safari vintage 911s so Come we on. took a 964 that we can run the Baja 1000 in, and I can still drive to go to the beach, still has heated seats. Um, but we're talking about, you know, like suspension underpinnings that cost as much as a new 911, right? Like wow. a really wacky build. Yeah. Um, and the list goes on and on. I just picked up the new Rivian truck, traded in a Raptor for it. Um, what do you um, think of that? Do you like the Rivian? I, I mean, it's, yeah, I like it. It's a total fresh take on what a truck could be. I mean, I came from a Raptor. I'm kind of a Ford truck guy as my day-to-day yeah. beat it up, you know, truck uh, kind of life. And, um, you know, you can tell it's the first gen of a new car company that hasn't produced any cars. That said, it's way better than the first gen of anything I've ever produced, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's totally some room for improvement. You know, like, again, paralleling Ford, man, they know how to make cup holders. You know, little things that, yeah. that yeah. are 100 years of manufacturing, you know, prowess. Um, you know, the, man, the, the, the tactile 
you know, elements of door closes and, and lane change beeps. And some of that, that little experiential stuff, the big guys still do way better. But when it comes to redefining, hey, how do we think about storage? How do we think about capability? Um, it's, it's been pretty awesome. So uh, I've got the big trucks. I got the fast cars. I've got a couple that are just sort of regular in between. I, I've gotten really into um, K cars and associated sort of cars, Japanese, right-hand drive, small footprint, you know, diesel and gas trucks, um, which is a, just a wacky thing to get into. Um, and thankfully, I'm a member of a great uh, garage collective here in San Diego. It's called the Garage Collective. Shout out that um, houses a lot of my vehicles and has an awesome culture. So I'm always Heck buying yeah. something. I'm always selling something. I love it. I love it. Uh, it sounds similar to what it, I'm picking up on as your your kind of professional journey as well. That You've done a lot of things, been a part of a lot of things. Give us just a little bit of, of your journey and, and where you, how you got to where you are today. I mean, I ask myself that every day. How, <laughs> to quote David Byrne, you know, how did I get here? Uh, where is my beautiful car? You know, yeah. where is my beautiful house? Um, I, I've always been an entrepreneurial guy. Um, my father, uh, first gen immigrant U.S., very entrepreneurial guy, sort of self-made guy. I think I had a good blueprint there. And um, I remember learning that, you know, that word we all throw around, that obscure, I'm assuming, French word spelling it in second grade, writing some second or third grade, writing a, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up kind of, you know, report. And for me, although I, I've certainly been employed and, and been parts of some teams that I'm really proud of, I'm in a, in a uh, non-leadership capacity, I, I really sort of assumed pretty early on that my only track was to do something for myself. And, and that's materialized in, you know, post-college, had a, was a founding team of a startup that got acquired pretty quickly. Uh, I know you guys talk about hyper growth a lot. This was a, you know, nothing to everything in 24 months kind of hyper growth story. And um, when that company got acquired, essentially my only skill set was managing hyper growth. I didn't really know how to do anything. I was the CFO of that company in title. I mean, we, it was pretty collaborative and I wasn't a CFO right. by trade. I was just a kid, you know. Um, but uh, pretty quickly learned that I could parlay that into, um, well, consulting for a time and ultimately investment banking, where I could wear a similar hat, sort of this hat of, you know, what's working, what's not working, how do we tell the story from a value standpoint, how do we realize the story from an operation standpoint, and kind of reconciling all those through. And I did that for some time, um, worked for uh, some other professional investors, family office, but um, I, I'm a pretty money motivated person. You know, I, I find a lot of other value in what I do now, but I've always kind of been a, just a show me the money kind of guy. And for me, the, the easiest path to being a part of that show me the money conversation is just going to where the big game is played and where the big checks are written, right? I, I don't consider myself particularly innovative um, creative in a professional context. I do a lot of other creative stuff outside of my work, but I'm not like the idea guy. Um, so I felt that it would be challenging for me to sort of write my own ticket from zero with, with brilliance. And instead I just sort of did the math and said, 
if I want to generate some wealth, why don't I just go to the place where the ticket price is the highest, right? We could sell things where we make a dollar. We could sell things where we make a hundred dollars, or we could sell things where we make a million dollars, whatever. And um, that ultimately led me to founding some companies that service the private equity and investment banking world, as you mentioned, and um, ultimately using that expertise of optimizing um, some of the processes in, in private equity um, to become a private equity investor and start my own firm or raising our fund too right now. Um, our first fund has been really productive. Um, and so now I kind of split my time between my entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, I founded Cap Target. There's some companies that spun out of Cap Target. GP Partners, which is a great buy side firm, Merger Labs, which um, was acquired in 2018, but was a full service agency exclusively serving the investment banking um, universe, which was a first of its kind. Um, and so I have this entrepreneurial bucket, and then I have my sort of professional investment bucket, and I have a great team of really senior guys. Um, you know, we've got three billion dollars worth of deal experience between uh, between the senior partners and. Um, we're really excited about deploying capital with a kind of unique um, uh, uh, twist. So um, really short version of a really long story. I, I've kind of sat on all sides of the table, right? I've, mm. I've built them. I've sold them as the guy who built them. I've sold them as the banker who's brokered them. I've bought them, uh, acquired them as the principal, as somebody who's works works for the principal, as somebody who represents the principal. Um, and kind of everything in between. So uh, uh, I, I, I'd like to think I have a little bit of, you know, all the flavors of this crazy entrepreneurial and, and associated worlds rainbow. Yeah. What, what occupies uh, most of your time right now out of all those things? I mean, Modern Warfare 2 is really fucking good. <laughs> it's really good, man. <laughs> Uh, that's about it for me. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I try. I know you guys, you know, introspect a lot about work-life balance, and that's important to me, too. I'm, I think I'm really productive when I'm on, but when I'm off these days, I really try to be off. Mm -hmm. So um, I try to prioritize some of the enjoying the, the fruits of my labor. I'm kind of turning the corner on working on things that matter to me and that have bigger, longer-term implications than trading time for money or, or short-term wins. I don't, you know, I mean, I could probably close up shop today and be fine forever, but I'm, I'm not interested in doing that. I'm just sort of tweaking what the equation looks like. Um, but beyond the, the turn it off, goof around side, you know, I, I spend most of my time either in a planning function, sort of steer the ship function in some capacity, or in a people function, whether we call that Mentorship, coaching, um, whether that's just part of being a good key executive, I don't know. But as we grow and employ more people and acquire more companies, um, it's become so apparent to me that the highest and best use of my time, at least based on my skill set, is just listening to people, helping them improve on a kind of one-off, one-to-one basis, and over time you know, using that impact on the organization to, to drive, you know, towards that end goal, wherever we're, we're steering towards. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very personally invested and interested in the idea of highest and best use of your time. The more that I look at 
the variety of options that one might have in any given moment or the the things that present themselves to you as you should manage this or this should be your responsibility, you're left wondering like, okay, well, what do I say yes to? What do I say no to? And uh, that idea of trying to get clarity on highest and best use of time uh, is always intriguing to me. How how does that play itself out in your world? And was it always clear uh, or did it take time to kind of get to know yourself well enough to know like I'm my my time is better spent here than it is here? Well, there's there's kind of an overreaching uh, theme before my personal answer that I think we all experience. And I've, I've talked about this at length elsewhere, so we don't need to get too in depth to it here. But I think American entrepreneurial, American business culture really gives preference to this idea of, can we do it? Can we put people on Mars, right? I'm sure we can. Can we invent a car that goes... 300 miles an hour, whatever, insert, you know, lofty goal. Um, and I don't think we spend enough time introspecting on the idea of, should we be doing this uh, for whatever reason, right? Whether yep. it's big macro things or personal goals or whatever. I think we're really into proving to the world and each other that we can do anything. And I love that. It's, it's gotten us all this modernity and innovation and, and I'm not complaining. But I think there's a break point where you really should stop and go, well, we can do a lot of stuff, especially when you end up with some resources, right? Some time, sure. some capital, some access to human capital that, that's so valuable. All of a sudden, you can do anything with it, right? And pretty quickly, you realize you need some guidelines to make the decisions because otherwise we sit here and we go, well, what can Drew and Gabe do today? to make a buck or to have fun or to create value. And I mean, the spectrum is, I mean, in, infinite, right? Yeah. It gets overwhelming. Um, totally. So um, I, I like to talk about, should we do this? And I, in any of these professional conversations I have with our teams, often we end up with, I get, we could do this. This isn't our charter. This isn't what we're trying to do. We need to just focus on the thing we're, we're great at. Um, so breaking it down a little, we have to kind of have an understanding, not necessarily of what the highest and best use of our time is in a vacuum, because that's the, the question you're asking, but what are we at least well-equipped to do? It helps us get beyond the can and into the should, right? Could we go start a, you know, a, a ice cream company tomorrow? Probably. But are we the two best guys in the market today to start that ice cream company? Probably not, right? Mm -hmm. So um we start there and kind of work down from there somewhere in the mix i always try to reconcile my basic needs and interests in a in a personal capacity to that should we can we conversation so working backwards a little bit and i want to acknowledge that i come from a place of a little bit of flexibility since i mean i've had a good run right i can kind of sit alone in my room and think for days on think about what i'm thinking about right it's an incredible luxury but i start with the basics what do i need to do every day every week to feel good play a lot of guitar i, I play video games i spend time with my friends and family i try to take my dog on a walk every day just these basics right i try to surf yeah. check the surf every day so i start there so i don't have to cram that into some sliver first of all yeah. right like this is the stuff i need to just feel good and and this is why I want to be here on in a 
a day-to-day personal context. And then I build everything around that. Um, and when building everything around that, I think my goal is just to always try to meet those to be determined professional goals through the lens of not being the smartest person in the room. Right. So oftentimes when we think about the highest and best use of our time, we think, well, what can I do? What am I the best at doing? Drew's better than anybody at this and Gabe's better than anybody than this. Let's do that thing. Um, and, and that's okay, but I think it's really limiting to sort of self-identify as the best person at anything on your team or, or especially as a leader, um, because it becomes this limiting factor. Nobody can be better than you and you're having to lead the team because they need to follow your greatness, right? It's this zany, egotistical, nonsensical assumption we make. So, um, I tend to not think about what I'm the best at doing and instead tend to just ask, well, what needs to be done? And that's a little bit broader of a conversation. And then we can start distilling that into some actionables and some good goals. And if you come to the question saying, what should we be doing? Not what can we do? What do I need to be doing to just feel okay as a guy trying to live his life like everybody else on the day-to-day? And then how do we manage that, that gap? You know, what, what do we need to do to, to get from, I need to play the guitar and uh, these are my big lofty goals. Um, it, it becomes a little more apparent. So for me, again, it, it ends up being some version of planning and people and introspection on our market and um, uh, really trying to understand what's uh, what's going to be next for, for all of us. I love that. There, what it makes me think of that you're doing really wisely is, uh, have you ever heard of Eben Pagan? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Eben Pagan had like a pretty simple uh, tool that I just really liked. It was called the Productivity Pyramid. And he yep. kind of broke down things into four categories. Like on the bottom of the pyramid were either no or negative lifetime value. Just above that was like low dollar per hour. Above that was high dollar per hour. And then on top of that was high lifetime value. And he said, typically our day, if left to its own devices, starts at the bottom and fills its way up slowly towards the top. Where first thing out of bed, first thing we're doing usually is no value or negative value, like scrolling social media or something that doesn't help or enrich our life at all. Then the immediate tasks that come are often very low dollar per hour type things that somebody else could be doing better to delegate. Then we maybe if we have time, get to like the real valuable things we're supposed to be doing and then squeezed in if there's ever margin left is the high lifetime value, the surfing, the friendships, the things that just help you feel good about your life. And he talked about flipping that, which is what it sounds like you're doing, where it's like, hey, first thing I put on my calendar are the things I know I need that really just make my life enriched and that I feel healthy and I feel good. And then I go from there. Does that, does that make sense? Totally. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, I mean, you know, we, we spend so much time striving for those base level things we need as just people to feel good and yeah. fulfilled and connected. So why not just start there? Right. And again, I want to recognize like it comes from a little bit of a place of privilege that I have enough sure. time in the morning to even have that conversation, but I do. And I want to make make some something you know worthwhile out of it, right? I don't want yeah. to squander it. And I do think that 
regardless of what position you're in professionally or where you are, I mean, to this audience specifically in your entrepreneurial journey, if you start ignoring that or if you don't build it practically into your own time use model, um, it's really hard to claw back, yeah, right? It's exactly. kind of like, I'm sure you've seen this in your coaching universe. Think about how many startups we see, our early stage companies, however we want to define it, that the CEO isn't being paid. Cool, whatever, skin in the game. I've been that guy. But then you look at their pro forma and you realize the CEO doesn't have any pay in the model. And you go, okay, well, <laughs> doesn't this thing need to exist in order to create some economic benefit for you? And they go, well, I'll figure it out later. I'm, I'm all in on the mission. And I really, I, I, that resonates with me. But it's like, if in the model, we don't include the economic benefit for the guy taking all the risk, why are we doing this, right? And, and sometimes there's, a, there's an answer there. I'm not, that's not a blanket statement. But it's not dissimilar to that, right? We have to start with saying, I'm going to yep. be paid. Or we have yep. to start by saying, I'm going to get to go surfing this morning. And in doing that, it empowers us to do all these other things because we feel the benefit of, of the output of what we're, what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're talking about too sometimes is, is just the degree of scale that like, hey, maybe someone couldn't scale the amount of things they want to do ideally as well as you have. Because wherever they're at in their entrepreneurial journey or life journey, there's less margin, but it doesn't mean it has to be nothing. Sometimes, like you yeah. said, it's just building the principle in that like, even if I can't do a ton, I've still planned that I can at least once a week do this or have this one thing on my calendar that I get to do that. And in principle, you've built it into the algorithm and you can always, ex you can always expand it versus the trap I see is just a complete no to those things. And we just say one day. One day yep. when the life slows down, I'll take care of this. One day when things get better, I'll pay myself from the business. One day, and that just feels to me like a very dangerous game. Instead of building even the small things in, like, all right, I know it's not as much as I want, but I've built it in in principle, and I can always increase it as I go. Instead of just hoping one day life will be convenient enough that I can get to that. Does that make sense? Totally. I I love that. I think that's and that's, that's why I well think said. it's like okay, you could you could listen to someone like you and go, yeah, but I don't have the amount of money or time that you have, it's like, that's okay. But you still could take the principle and say like, well, when, when could I plan something for myself? What do I enjoy and where could it fit in my calendar instead of just leaving it to when there's time I'll get to it. And man, life just goes by really dang fast. Like I've young kids. And the thing that we've experienced is the days are long, but the years are short that like yeah. the experience of time. It's like, Oh, the day is really long. But like the other experience of time is like, well, the years went by fast. And if you're not intentional, you go by years being miserable or go by years neglecting things that you care about. And that's just a dangerous game. Do you, do you resonate with that? Totally. And I mean, even beyond that too, without getting like too deeply philosophical or stony Bring it. or both, um, you know, I mean, the whole thing is a construct and right. All this stuff that we're trying to do are they're made up goals and we can make up our own goals and we can redefine our own success and, and, and our own value. And, um, you know, I mean, there's some very real thought and, and work that's been built around this idea that for a number of reasons, we can only experience our personal reality and I can't experience Drew's reality even when we share experience, right? There's all these different lenses, biological lenses, sociological, dot, dot, dot. 
And if, if my experience of reality, if, if my call it universe, whatever this universe that I live in is, is a product of the perception and, and my experience then I live in a different universe than you do. Right. And, and that's okay. Maybe that actually quite literally means there are, you know, there are indeed infinite iterations of what our, our reality is. I don't know. It depends on how you want to interpret that. And I'm not a mathematician, but, um, but at a more basic common sense level, if, if my reality is different than yours, because my experience and interpretation of that experience is different than yours. Well, then I am creating my universe and I'm creating my reality. And maybe the my isn't actually me, the guy, the, you know, Ram Dass quote, spacesuit guy. Maybe, maybe it's all the consciousness that exists in my iteration of the universe. And I'm one little avatar of that. And maybe hopefully I'll get more plugged into all the other little avatars of that. Maybe for me, that looks like building relationships with other like-minded people. And, and we get closer to what the, not Gabe, but the my universe consciousness iteration is of, of, of some, some better awareness of, of what my, my, our purpose is, whatever. But if you go down that little rabbit hole, and, and there's really, there's some sound, as I understand it, you know, quantitative work done there. And there's also some pretty obvious sort of, uh, just logical conclusions we can come to when we think about what my experience is versus yours and what does that mean to my reality versus yours. And as a layperson, you kind of come to one of two conclusions, pretty binary. One, it's like, so this is all made up, right? Because if if I think today is great and today becomes great, then maybe this is just all sort of a function of my perception and maybe uh-huh. that's impacting my reality. Maybe it doesn't need to impact my reality because it's happening in this little box thing that doesn't actually have any view to the outside world beyond our, our sensory functions. Um, or the, the other output is, you know, probably the polar opposite, which is just like, well, maybe none of this matters anyway. So I'm just going to decide to go surfing today and, Fuck it. And it like seems nihilism. to be okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know. And I'm probably, I mean, I think we all, whether we think about this deeply or not, kind of ping pong between I'm making my day great and what the hell is this? This doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but but if, if when we talk about how to, you know, extract the most value out of our time and, and how we're modeling our, our time use and our, our the, whatever resources we have and how we deploy them out there in the world, I think for me, it's really helpful to remember with whatever little asterisk or grain of salt that like this is pretty largely made up, whatever this is. I mean, this is a miraculous thing that I don't understand, but my little brain seems to have a lot of impact on, at least in my immediate Mm. sphere. And that's a really both freeing and kind of empowering thing to think about. And then it's not so hard to just to do a couple little things that make you feel better or that you can feel good about participating in because Hmm. it's it's all made up anyway. Yeah. You know, what makes me wonder is, do you feel like in your opinion, it's, it's important for someone to ask, to even ask and stop and ask the question, like what is success to me in this season? Totally. I, I, well, I think it's good for everybody to have goals. 
I think we need to define those goals. I mean, you do this all the time, I'm sure, with, with the folks you work with. I think they need to exist beyond, I want to have a net worth of $50 million in five years or whatever. I mean, those are good yeah. goals and you can work towards those, but I think we need some, some maybe some more holistic goals um, in there. And for me, you know, again, always been money motivated. I've always had financial goals, still do. Um, but once you hit some critical mass of those financial goals, pretty quickly you realize that it doesn't, a little more money doesn't really change your life too much. And, you know, there's that great Dave Chappelle quote about how when he walked away from his big show contract that he made the decision while eating steak across a restaurant from the uh, head of Comedy Central who was eating the same steak, right? He's worth a hundred <laughs> times more. They're still eating the same steak, right? They're both in good positions relative to where they start. So um, I think it's good to to have some goals that exist beyond those financial goals because the challenge is if you only have financial goals as a standalone and you meet them, then you're lost. And and we hear this time and time again. I know you've you've spoken to some people on the show who've experienced this where you like Absolutely. you hit that goal and then you go, Well, now what? Yeah. And a good in a vacuum, good position to be in. You met some goals. Now you're reinterpreting your next iteration of goals. That's that's really a, a wonderful place to be. But like, what if we just didn't tie our goals to those really basic financial metrics exclusively and had some broader goals that maybe dealt more with our relationships with our team and our family and our loved ones or how we spend our time or the impact that we make um, or whatever's important to you, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be mm-hmm. some altruistic big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's good to have some goals that reach beyond our sort of professional, classic American startup culture box of I want to be acquired in five years because, like, yeah, the statistical probability of that happening is pretty low, right? So let's come up with some other goals alongside that that can help us feel valuable and valued, and that can encourage us to help other people and that can do some good along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why I asked that because what you're hitting on is, Hey, if you don't define what success is for you and maybe even define it in a variety of ways, what I find is you'll just fall into something like you'll just fall into what's assumed to be success that maybe you don't see it that way and you don't know it till you get there and go, wow, I don't feel that great about this. I, you know, I just assumed success was more money and, I'm here now and I'm like, it's not, not that, but it's not totally that. And so we never stop and go for me. What is it? Is it that I want a rich community of of friends and family? Do I want Mm -hmm. to be, do I want to feel like I am enjoying my day? Do I want to, I feel like there's a purpose. Like I said, I, I think it's actually important for you, whoever is listening to ask that versus asking others, what is success for me? It's like, I don't know, man. I, I think that's something for you to kind of go on a walk about and, and maybe it changes too. I bet, uh, you know, depending on yeah, where you're at course. in life and it can flex and change. but that that's how I'm currently thinking about it, is I've had things I just assumed, like I never stopped and asked the question. So I just fell into this idea. And often that idea is very far away and you unknowingly are miserable. You've made almost a contract with yourself that I'm not going to be okay until I get there. And then you get mm-hmm. there and you're like, is this it? You know, I'm like, I don't want to keep living that pattern now, right? Totally. And, you know, it's even with financial goals, which I don't want to like, um, you know, cast aside too much. 
they can be smaller and more attainable. I mean, in the global context, American wealth is still staggering, right? I know a lot of yeah. things are changing right now, but we're still, you know, just sort of by by birth, almost global one percenters, which, you know, I mean, anybody who makes whatever more than 30 grand a year in the world is a global one percent sort of earner. And take that, you know, as you will, it just means there's a lot of people on earth and not a lot of people make that much money, really. But right. when we start thinking about our goals relative to everybody else, you realize you can set more modest goals and feel really fulfilled by them. One of my first basic financial goals, um, which I still think about all the time, is I just wanted to not have to think about how much gas cost. And there's some interesting thought about like gas prices are really, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's a funny thing because you see the the price of this commodity all day and you don't milk has gone up 500%, but nobody talks about it because you don't see the sign on the side of the road every day when you drive to work. Interesting. Um, and that's another conversation. But for me, I was just like, if I could just fill up my gas tank, fill it up, not just put four bucks in or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I had some ghetto ass days of putting like Same. two bucks and doing the math, trying to get to my job, whatever. If you can just roll up and fill it up, that is success for me, right? I yes. mean, that is success. It, it, little things like that. And if you can have some of those smaller successes that still are quantifiable and actually positively impact your life or some other people's lives, you're going to feel a lot better about your day to day. So I try to I try to table that I want to have a hundred million dollars by the time I'm fifty or whatever. And I have some of those goals. I don't I don't weigh too much into them and really celebrate. I can buy gas today and it won't hurt. You know, what? I mean, very few people in a global context can say that. I can. You can. It's okay to celebrate that a little bit. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. That was actually like a real conversation I had with my wife a few years ago, which was like one of my goals was to be able to fill up my gas tank without even thinking about it. Because early on in my own startup, like you are very, like you're having like literally looking at my bank account going, all right, if I spend 50 bucks on this right now, like how much does that leave us until the end of the month when the paycheck mm-hmm. comes in from this client? And I just remembered the stress of just that. And again, I know that's privilege that it could be way worse. But for me, in my context, I was like, what I would really feel pumped about is just to pull up to the gas station, fill it up and not have even thought about like, it, can we afford this? You know? And so now totally. we're there, you can skip pie that and not like let that sink in. Like, Wow. That is a that is a great accomplishment, and I am very fortunate. You know, like cool. That stressor is not there like it used to be, right? I love that. I mean, I think that's also good perspective. I mean, I think most people with an entrepreneurial journey start at you know a place where the odds are against them, or they're under resourced, or whatever, under supported. But not everybody, and um, it's good for us to have these small successes, just because it also gives us. It gives us fuel to the fire, right? It's easier to be able to afford gas than have a hundred million dollars. And if I can have those wins, I can feel like a winner. And then my perception is one of a winner. And then I live in a reality where I am this great winner who wins every time he puts gas in his tank. And and that has some meaning to to me and to to other people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It kind of builds on itself, doesn't it? Totally. Totally. That's kind of where I was going with that. You know, you do that enough and all of a sudden you can really sit there in your own reflection and go, what a success am I? I've made all mm. these, met all these goals, even if they're modest goals. And of course you can continue to set big, 
goals and, and, and have a long-term perspective on your planning, but it's good to, it's good to win one every now and again, you know, and I think we all deserve those wins and we mostly all do stuff that somebody else would look at and go, what an amazing achievement. You built a company, you survived your first year, you, you know, you you lived through COVID with your wife and your kids in a room and nobody, you know, threw the other one out the window. Like these are, (laughs) these are all successes, right? We can point to these and go, what a success are we? And I, I think it's, again, especially in a global context, we think about the struggles of humanity. Mm. We really are living a success. So a lot of it's been given to us. A lot of it we've earned, um, given to us by way of our socioeconomic structure and some of the benefits of capitalism and d- democracy and all these things that have worked really well for us for a while that mm. we're now probably going to have to start revisiting a little bit. But um, th- they helped us out a lot and we should celebrate them. What you talk about now, and I'm so glad we went here, you know, we could, and I want to make sure I ask you at least a few business questions because you're such a, you have such a great yeah. line for it. But what we talk about is big, man. Like in my life, I work with people all day and I'm privileged and that I get to kind of get, I call it get under the hood of their lives. Like they let me poke around a little bit and see how things are running. And what I find is that a lot of people have a whole lot of self-criticism, a whole lot of self-doubt and a whole lot of like, uh, I'm not enough inside of them. And that's really painful. If that's your kind of daily belief about yourself, even with the hundred million dollars in the bank account, there's still this, but I'm not that I'm not him. I'm not her. I haven't done this. Right. And that's like crippling to their own overall well-being. And so just the idea, like I'll give you one good example of where somebody helped me with this. I have a friend um, who is a a doctor, like a pediatric doctor in hospitals, like one of the children's healthcare of America or children's of uh, CHOA in Atlanta. It's an amazing hospital. Okay. He is single because his whole life is in the, in, in medicine. And so he, he's like uncle, we'll call sure. him uncle Spornick. Uncle Spornick likes to come over. It's only like once every other month when he has a few hours off, he'll come over, hang out with my family, have a beer with us, that kind of thing. And so we're up late one night talking and I was just being vulnerable with him. I was like, man, I just really been feeling like I'm failing as a father. And he was like, Whoa, what do you mean? And I just gave a few examples of like challenges as my kids were growing up that I don't know how to respond to. Like, I don't know how to help her deal with this. I'm trying to help her be more resilient. And then I snapped at her and God, I just, I want to get better at this. And I'm just pouring my heart out to him. And he's like, well, hold on for a second. He's like, I come from a much different point of view than you do. I see kids every day and I see the kind of environments they're in every day. And he's like, I walked into your house and there was food on the table. I walked into your house and your kids are not scared of you. I walked into your house and you have kids that know they're loved. He's like, those three things right there, there's basic security for them. They know they're loved and they feel comfortable in this home. He's like, that puts you in the A A category. Like you're getting an A as a parent. He's like, everything else is just like, the icing on the cake. And it was the, I can't, I mean, literally I was tearing up going like, you're telling me I'm not failing. He's like, no dude, your kids know they're fed. They know they're loved. Like that is take, that is doing it. And it, man, it really shifted my perspective on like how harsh I was on myself. And I see it in business. I see it in life. Like that's to me what you're speaking. If, if I'm an audience member listening, is that like, maybe I'm doing okay. Maybe I can have I don't know, some well-being right now without just raking myself over the coals. Does that, does that make sense, Gabe? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a couple, you know, metaphors, whatever fun 
examples of that that I think we hear a lot about. Um, I won't use the parenting one because you basically just did, but you know, I I have known many people. I've I've lived through this thought cycle myself, where you kind of think, "Am I kind of crazy? Am I for doing this or for quitting that yeah. job and starting this thing or for thinking for believing in myself this much or for betting the farm on this whatever?" And you know, if you ask any any real mental health professional, and, and I hate to use the word crazy, but I'm not a clinician. I don't know what the right term is, but shout out to anybody who's struggling is, is not a slur, right? I just, yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. Two, two idiots chatting here, but chopping it up, you know, yeah, go ahead, chopping it up. But crazy people don't worry about being crazy, yes, right? Bad parents don't worry about their bad parenting, yeah, a real shitty, you know, dad who abuses his children who's not there, he's not sitting around in a room going, man, I got to do better at this. How can I do better? I've really failed. They go, hey, man, life life screwed me out of an opportunity and my kids, I hope they're doing okay. Yeah. You know, again, somebody who's, who's you know, has a, you know, whatever, air quotes, crazy person, anecdotal yeah. crazy person, they're not sitting around going, is my How mental health better? affecting the rest of my life? No, yeah. they're just going, this is crazy. There's a, a shadow man yelling at me from the corner. This is nuts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think just the fact that we introspect on these things probably indicates that we are are more engaged than, than somebody who's actually, you know, not capable or not interested in, in making those improvements. Um, so I think it's really important to have both an understanding that if you're being self-critical, it's probably a function of your desire to, for continued improvement and continued mm. growth and having those checks and balances like your buddy are key too, to be able to have somebody just step in from the outside and go, this is really cool. You're doing something great. Um, yeah. I struggle with that managing people a lot. I've, I've never proclaimed to be some great manager of people. I'm really interested in, in management philosophy and all that kind of stuff, but I, I don't proclaim to be particularly good at it. And Every day I think, God, I'm not that great at this, you know? Right. And then right. you'll get a slack from a team member or you'll have lunch with a team member and they'll say, you know, I mean, last week was not tooting my own horn, but real example, took two, two folks out to lunch on, on CapTarget's team and, you know, had a productive lunch. And I got a slack afterwards because we parted ways. And, um, and it was something to the effect of like, I've never had leadership like this. I've never worked in a place that, that treats me in this way. And wow, we're lucky. And it's so funny. As I was driving away, I was thinking the opposite. Was that really a productive meeting? Was I really listening to those people? Do yeah. they get how much I care about this? Do they just think I'm their jerk boss who's telling them what to do? So wherever that secondary, tertiary perspective comes, it can help you ground out. And all you need to do is realize that their opinion, whoever they are, your buddy, my coworkers, is at least as valid as yours. Yeah, right. Come on. Yeah. And, and that helps level the playing field. They don't have to be more insightful or important than you. You don't always have to be right. But if you can really just acknowledge my perspective, it's just one perspective. It's based on my experience. And again, this filter, I look at the, the situation through and my team's experience is different, but as valid and they're feeling really good. Well, maybe I can give myself permission to feel a little bit better about it while continuing to ask why don't I feel great about this and what can I do better? But that yeah. should be something that is insightful of, of, of 
progress, not of a, a penalty, right? I think Correct. it's okay if we think let's do better and, and you have some strategy followed by some tactics around how I'm going to keep progressing. It's another thing to sit there and say, this isn't good and man, I'm bad and just get stuck in the, maybe I'm not the guy to figure this out because that doesn't yeah. benefit you or the team or your buddy or anybody. And that's it. It's counterproductive. Like you, when you think you're being a realist and you're just grading yourself honestly, but it's not, you're not actually seeing it clearly. You actually are worse from that point on. You overreact, yeah. you overreach, you quit too early. Like it has, because you didn't see it. They're like, no, you're doing really well. And can we keep growing? For sure. But you're going to grow better if you recognize what you do have well. And what I'm hearing from you that I, I agree with is, man, caring is like at least half the battle. It might be more. Yeah, yeah. It might be like more. 90% of the battle. I mean, it's become the whole, you know, I know you talk about this kind of idea of your one thing and, and yeah. that, I mean, caring, too loose of a term, but this idea of leading from a position and making decisions from a position of, of empathy is mm. the most important thing I've ever even attempted to do. And I'm, again, make no claim that I'm great at, at that, but I've spent so many times, so much time, like all of your listeners, I'm sure, reading nonfiction management books about how to change my behavior and get more out of the team and set better goals and all that shit. And it turns out like, I mean, whatever works for you, there's a thousand ways to skin that cat. But yeah, the subtext yeah. that very few people talk about is like, you have to, to, to treat the people on the other side of the equation a, a certain way. And then you have to understand that nobody shows up to work or to your backyard barbecue wanting to be a jerk, mm. wanting to piss you off, wanting to hurt somebody's feelings, wanting to let their team down. Nobody, I mean, with the exception of like, whatever, the eight serial killers running around America at one time or whatever, the, the small group of bad people that are, that are yeah, around. True bad um, actors. And there's reasons. Yeah. There's reason why they're bad actors. Doesn't excuse their behavior, but yeah. With those guys set aside, the rest of us are just trying to figure it out. Right. And the ones that don't on your team, maybe it's the squeaky wheel or the team member that's not jiving or whatever. We need to move beyond like how to punish this person or even strictly how to correct them and into, I think, this place of this person thinks this behavior is the best that they can do to get the best outcome that we've agreed to work towards. Mm. And I need to start there, not how do I teach them to stop making so many mistakes on that spreadsheet or whatever, insert, you know, generic example, and, and really into a conversation about why does Drew think this is the best Drew can do today? Is this is this what Drew thinks Max Drew is on our team? Uh, and I think it's a lot more valuable for managers of people or parents, whoever, you're still a manager of people, um, just little people, um, to, to think about things through that lens, this lens of this little kid screaming is only screaming because this is the best way she knows how to solve this problem. And yeah. I need to get really real with that reality and either help teach her a new way or help communicate with her in some way that that speaks to her experience being that thing that you have the luxury or privilege or insight or whatever to see a little bit outside of. Right. And that's a huge benefit to, to engaging with anybody. Wow. Gabe, that might be 
I'm genuine. My mind is genuinely opening right now in, in a new way. Like that question of, Hey, someone's not, I don't know, acting normal, not normal, but like someone is having an issue right now. There's a tension in the team. This person is underperforming or whatever. And the question is coming from an assumption that like, however they're acting, they think that's the best way to do this. And I need to figure out why that is because maybe there's genuinely just a survival mode tactic they're in right now that they can't see. And, but again, they think they're being helpful or they think they're doing what's right versus like, they know that's wrong. They're an idiot. They're just trying to be a pain in my ass. That is such a generous, but also like a a helpful way to approach that. I I just, I mean, we, you live through these things every day, but I just lived through one with one of our teams and we had a manager who, um, we got some negative feedback about sort of their heavy handed management style. Right. And again, you could look at this and from a a punitive place and go, Hey man, you got to stop. You can't make your team stay late. You can't speak to them this way. This has to end. Otherwise there's going to be a problem. Right. That sort of, you know, head to head, cut the shit out. Can't do that. And sometimes that's effective. There's a time and a place for that. Sure. But instead just take a step back and say, this guy thinks for whatever reason, managing these people this way is the best way to do it. Mm. And maybe we start there. Why does this guy think this is the solution? Is he, does he not have access to all the information? Are we not aligned in our, our philosophy on how important people are? Um, and in this case, in not so many words, I ended up talking to this, this manager of people and kind of said, dude, why would you go this way. You're not sort of programmed this way. When you weren't yeah. managing people, you weren't this tough guy, you know? And he basically said in, in, in more words, all the great bosses I've had have been really hard asses. Now wow. that I'm the boss of some people, I figure I got to crack the whip, right? That's what a boss does. I've never been a boss. All my bosses were jerks. He came from the investment banking world. Of course, all his bosses were, were challenging, you know, uh-huh. that's a uh-huh. challenge space to work in. And pretty quickly, you realize the problem is not he doesn't he didn't read the handbook, right? That's not the problem. By the way, he didn't really read the handbook, but that's an easy problem to fix. The problem is he 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 has a value system that's fundamentally different from everybody else's. He thinks Mm. cracking the whip hard, beating the horse hard, watching it run or die is how you get performance. Yeah. And his team is in real time rejecting that, right? They're they're calling me and their other superiors and going. I can't, I can't do this. And so going into that, assuming that he thinks he's the best manager he can be and sharing with him tools on, on both how to be a better manager, but also tools that'll help him change his perspective on what the, the best version of his management style is, is probably more effective than just going through the handbook and saying there were three violations and the fourth one is a termination event and you're on thin ice, buddy. Because who gives a shit? What is that? Right. That's not how you build a great team. You know, and maybe my teams are all too small. I mean, we only employ between our, our few companies, you know, hundreds of people, not not thousands or tens of thousands. So I, I don't claim that that scales, but when you have enough people that you can touch and feel, you need to look at things through this empathetic lens and I, I think it that's huge. It's a, it's a good way to get there. I really do. I'm sure there's other ways, but for me, it's been really impactful and I feel good about problem solving with problem team members because it's no longer about you're an asshole, right? Yeah. It's not a, because it's never about, nobody wants to be an asshole, right? Yes. Nobody. Yes. No one's the villain so, in their own story. 
right? Totally. So take that off the table and let's get into the, really the why. Why do you think being so hard on your team gets good results? Mm. Is the is the result true to your assumptions? Seems like everybody hates you now, right? Mm. Do we think that's success? Maybe he does. And he probably didn't even know, like as this example, like let's just imagine this person isn't real and we're just using a metaphor. Like whoever this yeah, film of blank person is, likely doesn't even know why they're doing what they're doing until you get curious. Like often totally. we're not even aware of why we choose to lead this way or respond this way until someone gets curious and we're like, actually, it's not that I think that's the best way. I was just modeling what I saw. <laughs> if, yeah. Is there a better way? You're like, sure. Yeah, totally. let me show you. And they're like, oh, okay. I I even feel more comfortable. Likely he would even like your philosophy better than what he was shown, but you just end up mimicking what you saw, you know, and with almost yeah. like autopilot. It's so true. And in this, you know, half real and now half fictitious example, they, well, in the real example, the, the team member got to a place in, in one conversation that was not adversarial. Yeah. Right, it could have been an adversarial conversation. It could yeah. have been really, really a, a, a negative conversation. And instead, he got himself to a place in that conversation where he almost verbatim said, "Like, well, I don't want everybody to hate me." <laughs> like it went from it could have been, "Hey, I don't know what she's talking about," and those guys they missed all their deadlines, and if somebody doesn't come down on them, uh, they're not going to do shit. Whatever. Yeah. And instead, it, it, he he very literally got to a place where he was like, "Well, I don't." I don't want all these hardworking people to not work with me. That sucks. And it's then you can get them to a place of, well, what if we change some of the the background stuff that's powering why you make these decisions? Are you willing to to, to try something new? Mm. And now the conversation isn't you need to stop this behavior, which by the way, clearly you don't have the ability or the awareness to stop. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So asking yeah. people to fix their own problems when they're the problem or their behavior, their experience creates these problems is, is I don't know if that's super great reasoning, hmm. right? If, if you're constantly creating some problem, I don't know if I can just yell at you and tell you to fix it. I might need to say, look, you haven't demonstrated the ability to change, but you have demonstrated the desire to change. Hmm. So now maybe we can help, right? Maybe I can help you think about things a different way, not because I'm better, but just because I'm a different person. Yeah. And I'm willing to sort of put myself in your shoes for as long as I need to, to connect the dots. I, I, I think it's when we, when we talk about people or everything in businesses, I think at its core, that's really what we're talking about. Not just take care of your people. Don't beat them up. Don't work them too hard. I think we're talking about we need to understand that with few exceptions, we're all trying to do the same thing. But for a number of reasons, we're all equipped with tools that require us to do that thing different ways. Hmm. And not all of those tools are hard set in our minds and DNA. And instead of coming down on people and punishing and being punitive and reprimanding people, we just assume that they're trying to do what I already want them to do. They just don't yet have the right tools or perspective to do it effectively. And now again, the question becomes, Hey Drew, would you think about doing this a different way? Knowing that everybody's getting pretty, pretty tired of how you treat them. 
Yeah. Pretty quickly, unless you're a bad dude, you're going to say, well, of course, I don't want everybody to think I'm, I'm mean or whatever. Yeah. You go, cool. Let's start there. That's so huge. Just demonstrate, like you said, just demonstrating the willingness is is critical. Like, are you willing to see this a different way? Are you willing to, you know, to seek a different outcome of, of, of your leadership? Right. Um, tells you so much because not just bad people, but there will be some people that will say, no, I've experienced that. And that's okay, by the way. Yeah. That's, that's fine. It's, it's just a nice way to, to go through that butts, right butts and right seat exercise. Exactly. And I mean, we actually start now most of our, our, sort of conflict driven meetings with this question of you know, we, we have this challenge. Are, are you guys as individuals interested in fixing it? And if you're not, that's okay. You just have to say so. And it doesn't mean you're going to get fired like this, but it does probably mean long-term, not the right butt for that seat. Exactly. And for us, yeah. then we go into, is there another team they can be on? And if the answer is no, 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 no. Well, eventually they're probably not going to be our, on our team. But even when that happens, it's no longer about you underperformed, right? Mm. It's about my job is to find you the best home for all of your awesome abilities. Yep. Unfortunately, that home's not here under my roof. Yep. But I want you to go find it. Yep. And I believe you can go find it. And much like the, you know, if you love somebody, let them go, you know, thing with your, your, your romantic partners, whatever. There can be an element of like, I want you to be great and you're not being great here. So go be great and let me know how I can help you be great out there. But we're going to move on here because we just have a different a different perspective on how we're going to achieve these goals. Yeah. And now you're never the bad guy. They're never the asshole. And your team doesn't feel demotivated or afraid of you. And there are still consequences to underperformance and inappropriate action. But they can mm-hmm. be done in a way where we assume the person who is in the middle of it isn't a bad actor. Yeah. They just don't know what they don't know. Yeah, man. I, I want to end here. Cause this is such a salient point, but like what you're saying is typically the way we react to people right now with accusation in our mind. Our first thing is like, you would do that. You meant to do that. You're, you know, I have this judgment against you cause you did that. Everyone's got their guns up. And so there's no real conversation. There's like defense. I'm just defending my actions. I'm defending. And then I'm attacking you to defend myself versus like, put the weapons down. Like, I'm going to assume you're not trying to be a bad person. I'm going to assume, you know, like I always joke around like uh, the Snickers should be a stoic philosopher with its statement of you're not you when you're hungry. Just, just being able to like, be like, Hey, are you tired? Are you hungry? Is something going on that I'm unaware of? Like you don't typically act this way, right? That's a generous assumption. And we can get to some sort of resolution with two adults if we can feel that way. And I think the pandemic, I think separation, when we're not in person a lot, all of that can heighten our natural tendency to exaggerate or blow things out of proportion. But I want to end there because I don't want to distract from this. I think the best thing we've talked about the entire time is your take on what empathy actually looks like practically in leading other people in even the challenging conversations. That's the most it's made sense to me in a very long time. So, man, thank you for coming on here. You've given me over an hour of your time. Uh, thank you for spending it with me and sharing your story and your wisdom. It's been truly appreciated. Likewise, Drew. I love what you guys are doing. And I think these conversations and a forum for these conversations, um, it's, it's super important as we all try to figure this out. Well, will you come back on here? Because I want to have... 
uh, another conversation with you another time about the business and uh, the things you've learned on the entrepreneurial side. I think I would love to dive into that. Would you be willing to come back on? Absolutely. Totally down for part two. I like, I mean, as much as we talked about kind of the top down stuff, I think some of the nitty gritty is amazing. And awesome. uh, it's, it's just as fun to talk to as everything or talk about as everything else. Heck yeah. All right. Well, audience, listen, uh, he's going to come back, enjoy this, let us know what you think about it. Uh, but then also get ready for round two. We're going to do that in the new year. So thank you, Gabe. Appreciate you, buddy. Likewise. Thank you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. Thank you.